Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Steam Tactics writer and Air United Academy coach, Jamie Hamilton. Jamie, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me on, uh, Connor. Looking forward to it. Jamie, where do we begin with your earliest football memory? Could you take us through it? My earliest football memory? Oh, okay. Um, uh, I guess I have like some sketchy um, memories of like uh, kicking in the, the ball like in against a wall like when I was like four or five or something like that. Um, playing football in the playground, like you know, just kind of scraps of memories, I suppose. Um, wearing, I think I had a. This probably shows my age, but had a full Liverpool crown paints uh, strip at some point, like in a Steve Nichol era. <laughs> I heard there's pictures of me wearing that. I remember, I remember have, like wearing that strip and being very happy about it. Um, and late, I suppose my earliest like watching football the most distinct it's a little bit later but in the 1990 world cups like the main one of the main points where i remember becoming absolutely you know properly engrossed in football but yeah i mean there's bits and bobs floating around but those are some a little a couple of touch points i suppose and what kept you i suppose or what kept your interest remaining engaged within the game was it the mere aesthetic of the game or was it perhaps even a tactical side well no it's interesting i mean and yeah i suppose after you know playing through my youth and all this kind of thing i kind of lost the completely immersive obsessive contact with football probably like in my 20s and like late teens um i was interested i guess in other things as well especially music um and that became a bit more uh, front and center um, of, um, you know, my thinking and, and how I was spending my time. Of course, I'd always watch football, but it was, I suppose, during those years became more casual than I was when I was very young, because when I was very young, like I was obsessed, you know, like I would read, it was before the internet, right? So I would uh, read uh, old uh, histories of football and, like I can still like do this weird like memory stuff with World Cup stats and facts and like that's from when I was like very young. I read all that stuff and I was obsessed. You know, I played a lot of video games as well. I was obsessed with um, a lot of Italian football because that came on this on, on the TV. So when I was young, I was very obsessive. Drifted away from it, I suppose. Yet, yeah, like I say, in my twenties, pursued other things. And I guess if I had to put uh, the, an event on it, it would probably be the the Guardiola team of of um, you know. 2008, 9, 10, 11, uh, that really kind of drew me back into uh, football on that kind of more immersive level because, I mean, it was intoxicating stuff, right? It was it was one of the most impactful um, manifestations of football, I think, we've ever seen. Uh, almost globally, like universally lauded as being incredibly aesthetically pleasing, incredibly functional in terms of its effectiveness. And I just became very interested again. And then, well, what is the, what's going on here? You know, how, how is, how has this happened? And I suppose that, and then I get, that fueled my, 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 you know, to, to return to this passion. And then I decided that having uh, spent the previous years 
pursuing other uh, like professional interests, I would actually want to try and you know dedicate my life to actually working in football. Uh, unfortunately, too old to be a player and probably not good enough by that point. So uh, that meant something else. Um, I didn't know. I still, I still don't know exactly. But it's is it writing? Is it is it, is it coaching? So I start to do both. Um, start to write and start to coach. Right, I just start to coach. Uh, the local I just email the local club right and you know start they're happy to have volunteers and I start to do my my coaching licenses and all this kind of stuff and you know over the past I suppose 10 years that's what I've been doing is 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 trying to develop myself across the theoretical right uh, aspects of understanding like what the you know the ideas and concepts um, that are uh, involved in football, and then at the same time, every uh, you know, every week, making sure that I'm practicing a method on the pitch um, with players, and that's, I suppose, I, I've seen it as like a dual, um, a dual project. <laughs> you know, of, we can talk about the problems of the separation of theory and practice, which is, I think, very important, but that's certainly one of the reasons why I've tried to do both and keep both going. And it shows that's led to a point where I'm still doing it, right? I'm still um, trying to think about football while at the same time applying it on the pitch. Um, so that's a quick, brief, uh, I guess, synopsis there. Brilliant, because it actually brings me back to one of your quotes, which I have written down here from, I believe it was your relationist article, which we'll speak about a little bit later. And at the end of the article, you write, it's, through destabilization and movement and that stability and fixedness that reality finds opportunities develop in interesting, novel and unpredictable ways. You know, and obviously watching Guardiola's Barca team between 2009 and 2012, you know, it was the beginning of scratching an itch, just led you down this rabbit hole, so to speak. So it's interesting to hear how these micro adaptations are still going to this very day and that short circuit Jamie I think between theory and practice which we spoke off camera so vitally important isn't it nowadays yeah um, I think it's yeah I think this is one of the one of the issues that we have and um, maybe it's the most important uh, issue I think we have in football um, is this separation of theory and practice because there are football uh, ideas that seem to have become completely abstracted in the sense that they are not grounded in anything anymore. Um, they become uh, unit, well, not they become, but maybe certain people would like them to become uh, universal. Okay. Like a, an all governing concept of how football works and people want to design theories and concepts that almost solve football as a, as, as a problem. Um, and the problem with that is that football is always already emerging in a, in an infinitely complex set of uh, different local material conditions, right? Football is always emerging from the ground up, from the interactions of people, players, uh, cultures, places. And they're different, right? There's always different interpretations of how football can be played, how football can be thought about, um, depending on these environmental conditions. 
So the problem with trying to then apply some kind of universal theory is, well, how do you deal with all this variation? And I think there's a real tension now at this point between the kind of all-encompassing theories of football and the localized interpretations that arise from the ground up. Um, To give a practical example of just, just what I'm saying here, I think, Maybe the article by Juan Malillo in The Athletic, which is probably a little bit infamous now already, in where he uh, analyzes the World Cup in Qatar, the play, the on-field play. Um, and he essentially you know, drives home the point explicitly and implicitly throughout the article that there is a homogenization of football that is occurring. Um, he, he gives various examples of this, and you know it's been talked about and written about quite a lot. Um, and so, th- th- this of course makes per- perfect sense, though, if you've been following these threads uh, and the development of all governing, universalized concepts of football theory, and they're uh, as they become more prevalent in, let's say, curriculum, coach education, analysis media output, then, of course, we will end up with a situation where the perceptions of people when they think about football, regardless of where they're from, so someone in Norway uh, and someone in uh, Sierra Leone, right, their perceptions of football become aligned because they're working from a sa- the, the same conceptualization of, of football, how it should be played. Uh, and how it should be trained. Um, So, of course, we end up with what Leo sees, which is a homogenization. Now, so, but this goes, runs uh, in tension with the emergent uh, properties of football as it grows and develops from uh, from these environmental locales, right? So, we have some. We have an issue there because, well, what? Do we, how do we want football to develop? Do we want it to become homogenized? Do we want to universalize it and come up with the old governing concept, the theory, right, that we can apply anywhere in the world? Remember, it's abstracted; it's not grounded. So that means we can just use it wherever we want, right? We can arrive in whatever country we want, whatever city, in whatever neighborhood, and go, okay, this is football. Here's how you play it. Or do we want to say, actually, we don't know how to play football? what we need to do is look at the material conditions of the environment and think, well, what kind of football happens here and, and how is it different? So yeah, this is the, the I suppose on a global level, the, what, the issue I see with the, the divide between theory and practice, it's a, it's a loss of grounding of the theory and it becomes an abstracted tool that people just pick up and use and implement wherever they like, which is, uh, you, you know, you'll see it like, if you look at various clubs across different continents, you'll see game models that are like the same. You're like, oh yeah, play this formation and do these rotations and do this, do that. Like play the four phases of football, transition like this, attack like this. It's like, all right, man, that's like <laughs> the same. So yeah, that's, I think, uh, certainly an issue I'm very interested in right now. Play devil's advocate and perhaps go one step back Jamie too you know at times I think some of it could be down to our inability to deal with the speed of change whereas back in the day was Ralph Radnick being fortunate enough to attend 
uh, Valerie Lobanovsky training camp in Germany, you know, now you can get the same material in a way two clicks away. And, you know, taking us back to our youths growing up in the UK and Ireland, you know, football used to be so something so far away where you learned about all the nuances of geography through the game itself. I remember, you know, tuning into the same show on Eurosport 6.30 p.m. every Sunday, or you have the Italian football show on Channel 4. Whereas now it's just accessible everywhere. This alongside, you know, you combine that with the influx of capital at the very top, who are not the best talent. I mean, there's an argument there if we hit a point aesthetically where it just doesn't hold the same appeal. It's a totally foreign game to the one we discovered as kids. Yeah, I, I remember watching Trans World Sport. That was the one that I used to watch. It was on Channel 4 and you'd had that. And like it was this like uh, magazine show of uh, all these like weird and wacky sports like you, you know, not necessarily watching it, but it'd always be like two or three minutes of like South American football. Uh, and it would be like Copa Libertadores highlights. And I'd watch like the whole hour just to like catch the two minutes of South American football. Um, and, 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 you know, I agree, this is... Trying to imagine what that's like now is is crazy, right? Because you can just watch any football at any point, at any time. But back in back in those days, you know, sounding like the old guy before the internet, it was you're picking up these fragments, these scraps of this other thing, right? It was like, what what, what is this? Like this is completely different. Look at these like players. Look at the skills. Look at the look at the look at the difference, right? It's it's very different. And yeah, of course, as as technology has evolved and makes it much more easy to have globalized ideas um i think i think this makes it even more important though to, at this point and maybe that's why leo one of the reasons why leo is, has taken the route he has is to just to bring this conversation up at this point and say look yeah okay we can we can blame technology as the it's just a natural thing that happens as well well Technology also helps us learn about other cultures. Like, you know, we can establish a more variable landscape of football. Also with the help of technology, I certainly do. It's great. I can, I can research anything. You know, I can connect with people all over the world and speak to them about their, uh, their own subjective um, ideas of football. And that's been hugely helpful to me is, is understanding different ways of playing from the people who understand them because I don't. So, and I maybe have some understanding of certain ways of playing football, but that by no means mean, is it, demonstrates that I know how to play all football. Of course, I have known nothing like, so in, in, on that scale. So it's, yeah, technology is there and it can, it can obviously have this homogenizing effect but it's a, it's a question of how you're using using this technology, right? You can you can use it to 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 expand your your grand theoretical idea and convince people all over the world that that's how you do it, or you can say, well, let's try to use it to uh, promote difference and I suppose like a diversity of footballing interpretations, which is something that I'm more interested in, um, and certainly I, I you know technology makes that. Absolutely possible, for sure. I think as well, Jamie, the early advantages of technology were in fact that, like, you know, there was a diversity of thought there now, which seems to be coming more and more eradicated as the days go on. But again, going back, I mean, context really is key. I and mean, we speak about the homogenization of football tactics. And I mean, you've broken them into 
well, there's two distinct approaches. You have the positionism and you have the relationism. The former seemingly being an approach which has homogenized the game in recent years. However, it's interesting, like culture really does trump everything else when you look at it from a hierarchy. And a few recent posts, you've in fact retraced the roots of the positionist approach all the way back to the Netherlands, where in fact, Dutch total football wasn't first. It came from Dutch total architecture. Yeah, and this is not my original work, right? There's people like David Winner have, have written a um, fantastic book, uh, Brilliant Orange, uh, which I recommend everyone to read because it's a brilliant book. Uh, and and, and other, other, other writers that, I, that I've fortunate enough to be in contact with um, yeah, are, are aware of this of this link between uh, Dutch total football. And, okay, so we, we talk about like Guardiola and I've been talking about Guardiola and this style of football. And it's become, yes, very, very uh, prominent. Leo himself, obviously very um, attached to Guardiola um, and, uh, you know, um, pushing forth this positional, and it's called positional play, juego de, de position, right? I'm, it's, it's not really my term. Uh, it's been around for a long time. People have generally accepted the term. And it's a way of understanding football. And it has become very, very prevalent, especially at the top end of football, and then trickles down through curriculum and I think through academies as well. It's, it's very prevalent. And yeah, it's all okay. But I think we have to understand that at its genesis, at genesis right, where these ideas come from, and again, this is not controversial to say, I'm sure Guardiola would himself say that Cruyff has a massive impact on this. This is uh, Cruyffism, right? This is a... Uh, the impact of Meikles, Rinus Meikles, Johan Cruyff um, developing this, what became known as total football and then, you know, playing spectacular football with Ajax and Holland and then moving to Barcelona and then uh, this, uh, the dream team, right, of Cruyff in the 90s and then it, the, the, the principles become uh, ingrained in, in La Masia, right, in the academy and, and the style develops there. And I think the important thing to, why I try to, uh, what I'm working on right now is researching how at its initial stages, right, total football was a, a, an authentic cultural expression of from the Dutch environment, from the Dutch ecology, right? It had, there were reasons why it happened there and not somewhere else. And it's, to, well, seems to be to do with, um, well, many things like David Winner talks about the, the, like the flatness of the land, right? The way space is conceptualized in that part of the world. Look at the paintings of Piet Mondrian, right? The, the way that these geometric divisions are, 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 are forefront in the aesthetic understanding um, and various other things that, you know, that you, know, you can read Winner's book about it. And that's, for me, this is great because this is, and, and, and at his heart, Total Football was a, was a, it wanted expression from the players, right? It, it, was a, it was a system, a total overriding system, but it wanted individual situational interpretations from the players it just wanted them all to be coherent with each other right but it allowed uh lots of freedom and autonomy of the players to and that's where you took these like rotations these um uh these uh, fluid movements uh, of the team and it's a spectacular method of football like one of the greats like one of it's a masterpiece of of, of footballing interpretations but what seems to happen then is that's great but then some people will say well that's football that's how you do it like they've cracked it now we just have to replicate it it's like no like you can learn from it let's learn let's understand it and then maybe you can point to a figure like van Hal, for example who cruyff is very critical of um cruyff would say 
some I can't remember the exact quote, but he would say, you know, he has a vision of football, but it's not mine. Van Hal is, and he uses the word militaristic in his in his um, implementation of what he would of his version, let's say, of total football, because Van Hal wants to mechanize it. He wants to take away um, a lot of the individual interpretations and make it a top-down coach-led system where he just goes, okay, wherever I am, Amsterdam, Barcelona, Manchester. I just put my system down and, and that, and I tell the players what, what to do. Right? I tell them where to stand. I tell them where to pass. I tell them the progressions and it becomes abstracted. This is an example, a practical example of this abstraction I'm talking about. The original method of total football is grounded right in Dutch uh, cultural milieu, right? Of the environment, of the ecology of the people. It then becomes abstracted. Van Hal's there are others, many others, but maybe a prime example just to use here, where he would take the, the, take the system or his interpretation of this system and then mechanize it in such a way that he can just implement it anywhere with any players. Of course, you can't implement it with any players. Some players don't like <laughs> playing that way because they're not from uh, this. They don't understand this uh, way of doing it because it's, it's alien, it's other, and it's not necessarily the way they would like to play. So... And when I say I don't understand, I don't mean it in like a derogatory way. I just mean it's 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 completely different. Um, and you can see this manifest, you know, in many situations. Like Van Hal famously fell out with Raquelme uh, at, at Barcelona. He subbed him after ten minutes in one game. Like he he, some of the things that went on there were quite extreme. Um, Di Maria didn't really work in Manchester United. Uh, he wasn't too keen on him. Um, so, and this is it's not just Van Hal, there's many coaches who tried to put their systems down. Uh, Guardiola, you know, Ibrahimovic is no fan of Guardiola, right? Um, for similar reasons, I would say. Like, and again, I don't have to say which one's right and which one's it's not, but, you know, clearly Zlatan and Pep have different ideas of how football should be played. Um, and so when Van Hal goes into these, uh, these various uh, environments, he's not really interested in the bottom-up emergence of the, of, the, of, of, the, of the players. He wants to implement the system. So, again, yeah, Dutch total football, fantastic cultural expression, I think a masterpiece. But the mistake we make oftentimes is to see these interpretations of football, the same can be said for guardiolism, and think that is the solution. All we need to do now is learn how to do it and then just go wherever we want and play that football it's like and, and i don't blame guardiola it's, it's like does he want everyone to copy him like <laughs> probably not do you know what i mean it's like maybe he thinks it's weird but the guy is obviously a genius some kind of genius and and, and comes up with these incredible systems so I, yeah i can see why it's tempting to copy them but i think there's big big issues with this style of uh, replicating systems and uh, abstracting them and, and trying to apply them uh, you know wherever you are and relationism as an antidote, um, I mean, how does it differ? Well, okay, so when I'm coining terms, there's always, they're never going to be perfect, like, for sure. Yeah, so that's the first thing I'd course. say, you know. So when I coin positionism and relationism, what I'm looking for mainly to do, what I'm trying to do is, and I reiterate, I'm doing it imperfectly, right? I'm trying to demonstrate that there is, there are other ways of thinking about football. I think positionism is prevalent amongst 
many, I think the majority, I would say, of, of, um, of, of analysis of top clubs. And I think it's prevalent in many academies as well. Um, and it's, you know, based on my own experiences and certainly accounts from other coaches and, and, and seeing game models from all over the, from all over the world. And I think there's a tendency that when things don't fit with the paradigm of positional play or positionism to say that, well, it's just a mess. It's like, oh, there's, what's going on there? There's no system there. There's no, there's no order. There's no organization. It's, you know, they need better. They need to be coached better. It's, you know, we need to get, you know, get these guys into shape. There's no structure, et cetera, et cetera, these kinds of things. And that can be the case, like no doubt. Like you get football, it's just like a mess and it's just off the cuff and random. But you also get football that is where the teams are organized in a different way. They use different references, um, different, or should I say, different, uh, different hierarchies of references to organize themselves. In, in positionism, the primary, uh, one of the primary references is space. And you can look at that in terms of Saki's four references, space, ball, teammate, opponent. He's got space in there. Okay, well, what do you mean by space? Like, space is a very complex concept, and it depends how you mean it. If you mean it as just some kind of uh, quantified zonal area on a flat map, then okay, we can talk about it like that. Or are you talking about the space that's constantly changing between two people, right, in a room? Like, it, you know, it's like, what is there like an energy in that space? Like, there's various different ways you can conceptualize space. Um, so for me, one of the ways I try to demonstrate the difference and I do it in, in the article, the positionist is to show that you can actually, rather than putting space alongside team, uh, teammate, uh, opponent and ball as primary references, you can actually see space as something derivative of the other three ball teammate opponent. And from those references, uh, space is conceptualized. And there, and that, in that sense, your position is not the starting point. The position is always emerging, always already emerging as a result of the interactions between the teammate, the ball, uh, and the, and the opponent. So relationist modes of playing football in my, in my conceptualization here are methods that do not prioritize this, uh, abstracted definition of space. As a, as, a, as a reference, they don't prioritize that as a reference. For them, space is something different. For a relationist, and there are many different types of relational play, but it doesn't prioritize space in that way. It, it sees space as, as derivative, right? As something more fluid uh, than, than, let's say, a tactics board uh, diagram. It's, uh, it's a more, to use a philosophical term, phenomenological um, experiential subjective uh, way of thinking about space um so yeah i don't while i'm not there it's important to remember that when i coined this term relationism for me it's like a large placeholder for many different interpretations of football um i think you see manifestations of what i would call relationist approaches start to happen all over the place like did uh, Fernando Denise's uh, Fluminense, my favorite example, um, my favorite example because it's so, I think, obvious. The players don't organize themselves that way. 
they organize themselves under different uh, organizational um, principles. What are those organizational principles? I don't know. Like I try and work them out. I try and look at it and, and, and make informed guesses about that. But I don't know how, what they talk about in training. I don't, I don't know. When Argentina win the World Cup playing their own brand of football, I don't know what the Argentinian cultural references are for this style of football, La Nuestra, right? I, I, it's not, I don't know this, but for me, it's more fun to find out rather than to say, well, it's just a, another type of positional game. It's like, is it? Like, or do you just not understand what's going on? Because I think there's a tendency for certainly coaches, analysts, people in football to really be afraid of not understanding things. And they always and and the tendency to want to try and in, collapse all these differences into their own understanding of football, rather than saying, "Shit, I don't know anything." There's an infinite world of variation out there that I can learn about, which for me is like more fun, and I think going to be ultimately more generative of interesting and effective football in the future, rather than a stagnated, uh, homogenized approach where you try to make everything fit within your already established thinking um so yeah positionism is all fine play positional all good like it's a method of football it can be aesthetically pleasing in many like i love roberto de serbi right like he's a he's a positionist right but he plays for me a fantastically expressive um aesthetically pleasing style of positional play like someone like Roberto Martinez, not so much for me because it's, I find it boring. I find it that he just wants to make a, a system that looks like the structure is symmetrical. And then like, like that's the job done. Like you can say, maybe I'm being harsh, but like there's a difference there for me, clear difference. They're both positional guys, but the Serbia is different from, from Martinez, like radically, you can see it. Um, so I'm not, it's all, that's all fine. There's a, uh, the writer uh, who writes under Joseph Boschik, who I promote, I've, I've shared some of his um, articles, writes about Brazilian football a lot, calls this uh, fast food positional play, where positional play just becomes this product, right? This, this commodified thing that's just packaged up and like sold to everyone. And like people just do these cheap replications of it. It becomes like a Big Mac, right? It's just a burger. It's like the same everywhere. And you see that. You see like you can tune into it game and you'll just go all right like, there's the formation there's the structure but is there anything going on there is there any like expressive uh, interactions between the players oftentimes not like it's just it's fast food position play right it's i like the expression um because it's it, it speaks to that homogenization and also in terms of capital right as well in terms of the the the, the globalizing power of uh of, of, of the the capitalist like, system we're in um so yeah, positional play is cool. Depends on the interpretation, but it's not the only game in town. Like, for sure, there are different versions, which under the umbrella, broad umbrella of relationism, I try to articulate. Yeah, and I, I think it's an important distinction to me too. Like Jamie, isn't it beauties in the eye of the beholder? And at the same time, back in the day on Transworld, you used to get your two, three minute fix of South American football. You know, it really is that degree of unpredictability that's drawn us in. I mean, I said to people time and time again, must have attended 50 to 60 games of professional football there in 2019 at the beginning of 2020. Marcelo Bielsa's leads absolutely blew me away because 
you didn't know really what to expect every week you were going to watch them. We see that now Benfica, we see Roger Schmidt there going away. It's a more relationist point of view. You speak about Fluminense and Fernando Deniz. You know, it, in a way, it's evoking the childlike spirit within that discovered the game of football. Well, that's it's not, like that's great. Like, uh, sounds, that's really nice because for me, that's so important is to have this like, yeah, this curiosity, this energy, um, and childlike um, perspective is for me is great because like that's the most fun, right? To see things through the eyes, be able to try to return to see things through the eyes um, of a child is like such an I think an important thing to do and like have that wonder, that sense of wonder attached to things, and. The world of football is like like that. It is inherently various because it is a uh, an expression of the of the of a, of, time, of a place, right? Of a time and place of a group of people in a place producing football. And the, the players have lives. They have histories. They have influences on them. The ground they play on is has a has a characteristic. Like in Argentina, they have a term portrero, right? Which refers to the public space where people gathered to play football. And Argentinian football hasn't always been particularly structured, right? Especially in the youth academy um, um, department. And a lot of the time, players, the best players of the neighborhood, younger guys would be playing on portreros. And each portrero would have its own uh, characteristics. Some would be on a slope, some would be a uh, rough surface, some would be concrete, some would be dust, some would be muddy, some would have trees growing in the middle of them, right? They have different characteristics. So when the same group of players play on the same space over time, they develop uh, not only does the individual, like I think we understand that individuals learn their technique through their environment. Like, that's kind of well understood that you know, Bergkamp kicks the ball against the, the wall and receives it in many different ways and it informs his touch on the ball. Zidane plays in like La Castellane and Marseille and like the urban uh, concrete job. So like Zidane is learning how to, his touch, um, is developing his touch uh, with the ball in like the urban concrete jungle of La Castellane. And yeah, we, we hear these stories. We understand this, like the individual player, Zlatan in, you know, in Sweden on, on the courts where he played, all, the, all these kinds of things. We hear this anecdotally and we, we understand it. And, it, and, it. and I would say it's backed up with them. Um, it's like a scientific evidence for this now. If we go down the roots of like ecological psychology and these kind of things, we don't need to get into that here. But generally speaking, we can understand this. But I think what's less thought about is rather than just focusing on how the individual's technique is, is um is related, right? Is developed and grows in dialogue with the with the environment. What about our shared collective tactical understandings and perceptions of football um, growing? So I was talking about the group of guys, right, in the Argentinian Petrero playing day after day, year after year on this shared space that has its own unique characteristics. And so after a while, like you learn how to play with each other in the, in relation to the space. Maybe there's like a wall on one side. And like, you know, when the ball goes left, it's like, okay, we can play wall passes. Like we can, we can go over there close and do it like that. Uh, we know that on that side, there's a big hill where the ball goes. So we actually don't like, and it takes 10 minutes to get it back from down the hill. So we have to protect the ball a lot on that side because we don't want to lose the football, right? It's like just weird stuff like that. So, you, but it's shared, right? It's shared collective perceptions of these things. And that is, um, that develops itself into a, you know, a, a, a playing style. So this is like, interesting then because then this happens in argentina and like in other places 
So you get these guys, these groups of people that have this incredible understanding of how to play with each other. But then you might go to the coach at the, maybe the more organized football at the weekend and the coach says, right, guys, we're playing a 4-3-3. We're going to do this. And it's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Like, no, we know how to do it. Like, we know how to play together. We have our own system of understanding. We have, we, we understand each other. The cues, the moments, the signals, uh, the facial expressions, the little gestures, um, the little dummy movements and counter. We've done it hundreds of times, thousands of times before. Like, we know how to do it. And this, the idea, like, La Nuestra, uh, the translation is our way. That's what it means. So players can have their own way of playing football that is developed over time. No, I'm not saying this is easy, by the way. You can just like wave a magic wand and this can happen. But in certain, in certain environments and locales, collective understandings and interpretations of football emerge. And they emerge, like I've said, okay, in relation with each other, the players and who they are and their values and, and their beliefs and their characteristics and their personas. It evolves in relation to that, in relation to the physical um, uh, landscape of the, of the pitch, of the potrero. Um, but it also um, it also um, develops in terms of like the community itself. Like, what do they value? Like, what does the crowd cheer for? Like, because the crowd in Buenos Aires, or even in like the one neighborhood of Buenos Aires, might cheer for some different stuff to the crowd in another neighborhood of Buenos Aires, right? And certainly, like in different countries and continents and stuff, there's there's you know different values placed on maybe physicality over technical play over collective over individual like over trickery and deception over like hard work and like there's there's different like interpretations and we can see that so when the crowd and Zlatan's actually spoken about this like when he did the nutmegs and the tricks and the crowd went what like made the noise like that reinforced him to do it more right because you're getting that live action reaction from literally the culture you're in and a in a not a planned environment, right? Just in the pickup games with local people and local places that your behaviors and stylistic tendencies are actually developed in relation, right? In dialogue with all these material conditions, the culture, the, the landscape, everything. And this is what I mean when I say like this Argentinian method, for example, La Nuestra, it is from there. Like it, it, it came from a place, a time and place and various different times and places, of course, but this overriding idea that you can grow a style of football from the bottom up is, I think, encapsulated by the name La Nuestra. It's our way. And I think any time and place, any group of players can have La Nuestra. You could have a, it wouldn't be La Nuestra, but Scotland can have its own version of this. The Celtic team that beat, Inter Milan in, in, in 1967, they beat Helenio Herrera's famous Catanacho system, right? The, the ultimate defensive system. It was unlocked by guys that grew up in the, you know, very small radius uh, uh, distances between each other in Glasgow. So like those guys had their way. And I don't see why we shouldn't be promoting. I think for me, it's more interesting to think about this football in, in this way to try and uh, understand and develop um, authentic, different, various cultural interpretations of football, and what they and how they might um, and how they might mix with each other, of course, as well. Rather, again, rather than uh, taking a system, a model, 
that's already from top this, this theory, this this grand abstracted theory, and imposing it on the environment. And I think that the moment between Messi and Van Hal in the World Cup in Qatar is like perfect symbolic representation of this tension, because when Messi scored the, I think it was the penalty to go two 0 up. He went over to the dugout and stood right in front of Van Hal, looked at him, and did the cup the ears right. And this cupping of the ears was Raquel May's celebration, right? It was this was a nod to his to this heritage, right, of football to say, look, yeah, okay, I don't want to speculate too much on exactly meanings, but he did that. He did that, right? And I don't think it's a coincidence that he used that gesture, uh, Messi. He said it was because. Van Hal made some cheeky comments before the game, and yeah, maybe that stoked them further. But there's a deeper resonance to the, to that uh, to that gesture. Um, so yeah, I, I think if we look at football in terms of its material conditions and how the football emerges from these distinct material conditions, we're going to end up with a vastly more variable landscape of football, which for me is like so much more fun and and more interesting than trying to homogenize and universalized language, the way we speak of why we have to have the same term. Why we have to have the same terms all over the world? Like, why do you have to use the same terms? Why? Like, so it's easy. We, we can't understand each other if we all use different languages. So what? Like, that's good. Because, because words, a word in another language, in another culture, encapsulates, a con- encapsulates concepts that we don't necessarily have. It's not just a word, right? It's like, so... If there's a word in Argentina, like La Pausa or Gambetta or something like that, like it means it's a completely different concept than we have. So if we lose that, the, the local language and local colloquial dialects of football, we lose variation. And, there, and for example, Raymond Verheyen would be a good example here because he explicitly wants to develop a universal football language, right? Like that's one of the projects of, of his... Um, of his idea and you can make i understand why like to, to increase understanding and coherence across differences like i get it but at the same time you have to be aware of what you're what you're doing there you are eradicating difference you're eradicating the more uh localized dialects if you're trying to make a universal language so these projects are you know you can you know make your arguments for them but i think you can make very strong arguments against them and and i think that's um again, an example, a practical example of the real world football landscape that we have today, where I don't think there's enough um, uh, articulation of these, of these different variable methods. Uh, and I think, yeah, I'm trying to try to promote that, if anything. Interesting, because, you know, speaking of team communication, For me, it's always the case of intuition is of the highest order. I'm speaking about Argentinian football. It's no coincidence that the team that adapted the most at the last World Cup just gone, you know, from game to game, in-game, won it out. And it's not necessarily a moving of the guard or interpretation of the tactical instruction in of itself. It's interpretation of the tactical structure on a holistic level, that's just like fusion combined with these guys playing with each other throughout series of Copa Americas, U tournaments, all the way up. So it's really like 
it's something else when you're turning it in of itself because I like in the Euros, Cup America, World Cup, JB, whenever they come around, it, it's a case of, right, the globalised game has become relocaled, albeit temporarily. Yeah. 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 So maybe international football is where we're seeing it at this point. Because the big issue is, right, and I'm not like some, I'm not so, I'm not completely naive, right? I understand that, like, if you're going to just land in a Premier League club who's like in trouble and needs to win, like, you need, like, you can't just go, right, guys, we're going to make, uh, let's find our way, everyone. You know, like, it's not, I'm not saying that, you know, I understand there are real, real pressures on this, especially in the paradigm we are in. But I think, and we can accept that and, you know, you can go in and put systems in and, and I'm not saying you have to stop doing this or anything like that. It's like, it's a way of playing football. It's all okay. But I think that if we dedicate our time to thinking about football in this more materialist emergent way, we're going to find ways of accelerating the process of, of learning how to do that. And actually, uh, hopefully being able to develop teams within a time frame that's reasonable that you can actually challenge a more, let's say, structural systemic um, drilled uh, top-down team um and obviously these teams you know i'm saying top down they obviously still have intuitions and like there's very i'm not saying it's i'm not trying to simplicate uh, simplify this whole thing into like one thing versus the other right but yeah I, I think if we are able to dedicate um to investigate right the possibilities of a more emergent style of football then i think things will reveal themselves and I think there are potentials and potentialities there that 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 could offer a genuine alternative. And and, and like I say, like this is not just completely mad speculation. I mean, Argentina won the World Cup. I know it's international football. Like Real Madrid are playing a quite a loose, uh, unstructured way. And you know, people say they're just vibing. You know, all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, they just vibed their way to like the European Cup all the time. Do you know what I mean? So like, maybe they know something that we don't. And like the players are are operating in ways that, and have systems of communication that aren't exactly obvious all the time, and it's like, yeah, and there's you know, there's, plenty, there's plenty of um, examples of this, and like you can look at like even the leaders of Serie A, Spalletti plays a four three three, okay, like we can see the structure there, but there's also a looseness, like there's also an interpretive quality to it. The interiors aren't just waiting in the advanced half spaces, right? It's like waiting for the ball. And this is again, it's not just about structure. Sometimes I think what I say is it gets misconstrued and just becomes like this, you know, one's got structure, one doesn't. It's about the, like the, the, how the players are like, relating to each other. And, and it's like in a positional game, and Guardiola would say this explicitly, the players tend to wait for the ball in the positions, right? And, and like, again, not, I know they move, right, obviously. But generally speaking, there are often times where, for example, the interiors, also Spain at the World Cup, Pedri and Gavi, like, the, the number eights, the high eights will wait in the, in the box, right? In the, not the penalty box, but in the box between the, 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 the defenders and the, the midfield players, the, the four defensive players of like a four, four, two structure, they'll wait them, they'll wait in those spaces and the ball will come to them. And then they receive with their hips open, right? They receive and play all these things that coaches like teach players to do. Right. Um, and then they'll try and play forward. But for, for example, Spalletti wouldn't do that in his four, three, three, the, the, the interior is going to roam around and it's a bit more, it's more fluid. They don't wait. They go to the ball, right? They're going to associate around uh, the ball carrier. So it's happening. There are instances of this happening in club football, no doubt. Like uh, it's, it's there. And I think also it makes sense. Like, you know, if you want to say logically or scientifically, like, you know, 
eventually we're going the more the more adaptive fluid systems i believe will have uh, will come to the fore because they are able to interpret uh, the situations in uh, in ways that the let's say you're up against a, a system defense a system team if you have very very subtle human uh, cues between players in very very small spaces it becomes very difficult to defend against of course this is not easy like and you can get destroyed on a counter attack like in 5 seconds if your players are all grouped together but like i say argentina kept mbappe pretty quiet for 70 minutes like he barely kicked the ball and they weren't they didn't have like a 3-2 rest defense structure or something like that right they just had like they kept the ball away from him <laughs> and marked him with the opposite fullback so yeah i think there's i think it international football is definitely somewhere you can see it probably because the, the you know the teams aren't so well drilled and they don't the coaches don't have so much time to so much time to put these incredibly efficient systems onto the onto the teams so there's maybe there's more room for the more relationist styles of play to, to to come to the fore, but I think it's coming in club football too, like, and I think that's good. Um, we'll see. Like you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, um, but I definitely think it's also a more. I think it's beneficial in many ways to, to in terms of development as well to think about football in this way, rather than just telling players. Well, I mean, you're a coach yourself, right? And I, and and yeah, I think there's from my experience. A lot of times, you get the game model, and you have to you have to impose right these print these top down ideas onto onto the onto the players, and it's not by no means all bad, but I think there's definitely another side to this. Hundred percent, and I mean we touched upon it there, Jamie. But you speak about having a freedom and an environment where you can bring some of these ideas to life and let them grow. I mean, perhaps how has some of your outside learning? informed your coaching practice at Air United? Oh, I have to be careful now. Air's <laughs> um, no, a great club and Air has a game model which is very coherent and well put together and absolutely it's it's makes sense to coach from uh, to have people singing from the same hymn sheet right absolutely but I don't know I, and I'm I'm not uh, ashamed to say I was a very positional coach right for many years like very because and because I thought that was really the best way to do it and and you know played played some good games with a in a in a positional way um and i would you know put lots of emphasis on this kind of thing on structure and being in position and waiting for the ball and and, and you know the 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 principles of positional play but now i don't so much um sometimes i might drift back into it just for a little bit if i think it's necessary in some moment but now i'm much more um uh, I emphasize, I try to emphasize much more the interactions between the players, right? So rather than saying, right, okay, you should stand in this corner of the zone and you in that corner of the zone because that's like the rational occupation. I wouldn't speak like this normally to players anyway, but like, you know what I mean? When, when you're setting up exercises, you go, okay, here's the structure of the possession team that's good if you like this. I wouldn't do this so much. Like I'll say, I'll, I'll be more like using words like uh, connections and support and help and options and just general like simple terms for the guys to try and understand that you know when you're close together and have numerous different passing options open to the ball carrier then there are connections that are possible that you know but it's 
it's trying to get the players to to understand uh, these kinds of principles of connectivity being available, um, and also ideas of um, anticipating, uh, you know, loss of possession. All these kinds of things are still prevalent. But yeah, I I I, I don't teach, or I certainly even the word teach like. I'm not so much like a teacher, I don't think, now that is saying, okay, guys, here's the here's how you do it. I'm more saying trying to guide them to to interpret the environment of the of the moments and trying to understand the meanings of cues of their teammates and trying to relate to each other in in I suppose more human ways. Like you could use the word the term socio socio effective is used a lot. Um I don't know if it's a great term, but it kind of encompasses what I, I'm talking about a little bit here. Um, and yeah, there's going to be different connections all over the pitch because of the different players that are close together and how do players like to receive the ball, which side they like it. Like, can that, can you use that, a lift pass with that player because he got good uh, ball control from the air? Is he fast? He likes it in front. Like, what are the particularities of these connections um, rather than these more general uh, governing uh, positional structures? So yeah, it's 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 definitely. Um, Definitely affected, but like, yeah. At the same time, I, I'm wary of. I'm aware that, you know, I can't. If I'm talking like this, then it would make no sense for me just to take some idea of what I have Fernando Diniz is doing in Fluminense and put it in air, right? Because that's exactly what I'm saying that you shouldn't do, right? Is to, is to take uh, some version of football and think that that's the solution. But, but you can you can look at aspects of it and think, hmm, interesting. And then maybe the idea is to try and. See, well, how does that relate to a place like air or a place like wherever you are? What are the characteristics of this place and what kind of football might be um, suitable, might be, might be uh, applicable in this environment, given the material conditions of the situation? But the more bigger toolkit you have of various forms of football, I think the more creative you can be with coming up with, with these things and you can, put, you can take bits from all over the place and and try it rather than just again a, a generic copy paste model, and then we get start to get the idea of like authentic expressions of a club and community and place and locale, uh, because it's it's unique. Uh, the game model, if you're going to use that term, is unique, right? It's got bits and bobs from all over the place, and some of your own ideas maybe, um, and some of the ideas from the players or from you know and it's linked to the linked to the place. So yeah, I'm aware of what's. And when we're not falling into the trap of becoming like the thing that I am advocating against, but that's often the, the biggest problem, right? And I mean, what an awful way to end the show, but <laughs> I mean, leveraging that childlike curiosity question I'm about to ask you, I mean, it, it's a tough one for even the guys at the very frontier of the sport to know, but I mean, Jamie, we pick up the phone in 10 years time and continue this conversation where do you see the future of the game headed um i i don't know it's I, like i have a feeling like because i don't want to make it I'm not, i don't want to just cop out and say I, I have no idea but i you know i don't obviously i don't know but um i have a feeling that this more uh what you want to call it bottom-up fluid emergent chaotic random uncertain style of football can become more prevalent i have a feeling it, it can happen like that i'm like and it's my like i'm aware this is my taste right this is my subjective taste like i'm just like i'm just 
that appeals to me. And like, like uh, certain foods appeal to me and not to others. Certain movies appeal to me and not to others. Certain music appeals to me and not to others, right? I'm not like, it's just, you know, you like what you like. And that can change, no problem. But, you know, everyone has that aspect of taste of their own, of their own subjective preference. And for me, I have, and obviously that makes me somewhat like biased with it. Like <laughs> I can't help but be me. So yeah, I have a feeling towards this kind of um, the development and, and investigation of these styles of football. And I would love, um, I'm a Scottish guy, right? I would love, um, I would love Scotland to, to, I think, maybe rediscover um, something of a, a real um, authentic footballing identity and become a real, I think football, Scotland can be a, a, an incredible football um, nation in terms of performance. In terms of interest, it's, I mean, just there was just a, um, a graphic I saw the other day, and it's, it's a fairly well-known stat. I think I'm going to try and get this right. It's in, uh, as, a, as a per capita, um, per, um, per, capita per population, the number of people that go to watch football every weekend um, in Scotland is actually the highest in Europe, right? It's football crazy, this place. I mean, it's, I mean, in many ways, it's one of the homes of football. The first ever international match was played about two miles from where I stand right now, right? And I've trained, I've, I've trained sessions on that surface of the first, where the first ever match between Scotland and England took place at Partick Cricket, Cricket Ground. So, yeah, in 10 years' time, well, I don't know, but like, I would love um, Scotland and other places to really maybe Iceland's a good example recently in the world cup, they felt like they had some kind of like renaissance of some kind of national identity through their football and like very small country. And yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think Scotland has much to offer. Yeah. If we can maybe apply some of these principles uh, to this environment, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Hopefully you enjoyed this half as much as I did recording it. Yeah, and thank you so much for the invitation. Um, I really enjoyed it. Been great speaking to you, uh, Connor. Thanks very much.